Hello, 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 wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you for downloading the Weekly Curio Podcast, the podcast that presents Curios Weekly. That's why we call it that. I'm Tom Britton from Freak Show and Tell. And I'm Jeff Wagg, curator of the College of Curiosity. We're going to begin this week the same as we have every week with the first half of our puzzle. Very simple puzzle this week. There is only one other word in the English language you can make using all the letters of this word. And this word is insatiable. Bond. James Bond. Oh, who's your favorite James Bond? Bird lover James Bond. Yeah. Uh, Lazenby. Really? No, that's no one. Get no the, one likes was, Lazenby. I, yeah, no, wow. no, it's uh, I was never, I've never a huge fan of that genre. But the ones I have seen, I actually like the Austin Powers movies the best. <laughs> but Sean Connery. Okay. Just because yeah. I... The standard even answer. Even the worst movies, Sean Connery... I like Zardoz, for oh, God's God, sakes. Oh, God, yeah. So even in the worst crap, Sean Connery is enigmatic and fun yep. to watch perform. So if you're not a fan... Uh, although I did, my father-in-law is a big fan of James Bond. Mm-hmm. So when the new one came out with old Craig, Daniel, Daniel Craig, Craig yeah. uh, the second one that he did, whatever Quantum it was Quantum of Solace. That was, okay. Mm-hmm. We went to the theater, came out of Christmas time, we were home for Christmas, so all the boys load up in the van oh, yeah. with dad to go watch the James Bond, since everyone else was into it. As you do as an atheist at the Catholic Christmas, you just go along to <laughs> right. get a oh yeah, James Bond. That sounds interesting. Yeah, that's very it wasn't a bad film. It, it no, was it was right. fine, just not my jam. I think the the ornithologist James Bond probably would have been more my man. Well, that was what I was gonna say. Is the most interesting James Bond is the real James Bond. Uh, so Ian Fleming, as we know, wrote uh, the James Bond books uh, on which the movies are a ton of those too. Oh, There's a, a ton. lot, a... and and their movies are only loosely based. Often they just have the title. You know, and and that's it. It really has nothing to do with it. But he needed a name for his first uh, for the character in his first novel, which was Casino Royale, and uh, he couldn't figure it out. He's you know he needed a strong yet simple name, and uh, he was living in Jamaica at the time, it, in, at a place called Golden Eye, which was uh, the name of his estate. And he was also a bird watcher, and he was looking over his shelves, and he had the the this is the book on Caribbean birds, uh, and it was written by. James Bond. James Bond was an ornithologist, and he was the expert on Caribbean birds. It is a good name. It's a good it's name. A good punch to it. Doesn't sound pretentious. So Ian Fleming steals this name and writes the guy. Actually, wrote to his wife and said, um, "I stole your name. It's a good name. I, I hope you don't mind." And uh, and James Bond, the actual James Bond, wrote back and said, "It's fine." And then later on, Ian Fleming would send him books uh, that he had written, saying, "You know, written with your purloined name." And one of these just went off at auction in um, in, in late 2000s, and it sold for $88,000. Well, good. You use the guy's name as a state, you get a little little taste, right? right? So if anyone ever asks you, there is a real James Bond. And for those James Bond fans, of which I am one, there is a little bit of trivia here. The movie Die Another Day is probably not at the top of too many people's favorite Although I love Pierce Brosnan. I love that actor. His early movies, he did a good job. But this is the one with Halle Berry. There's a scene where Halle Berry comes out of the water, which is a recreation of the Ursula Andress scene in Dr. No. I'm a fan of both of those scenes. Okay. So if you remember the scene, (laughs) James Bond is standing on the beach and he's holding a book. And if you look carefully, it is the book. It is the Birds of the Western Caribbean, I think was the Birds of the West Indies. West Indies. Sorry, Sorry, I have the show notes here. I'm cheating. He's got paper. Yeah. So... So yeah, it is that book, and uh, Pierce Brosnan is holding it. And when Pierce Brosnan introduces himself as an ornithologist. 
For our visitors to the United States, when you come here, the the flat state is Kansas. Well, that's the answer, right? So what's the flattest state in the country? It's Kansas. No, it's not. In fact, it's not even in the top 10% of flat states. Kansas ranks number seven. So, all right, so the other side of this, and they ask you this flat out, what right. is the most mountainous state in the U.S.? Oh, uh, Dakota, one of the worst no. or Wyoming. Well, that's funny because North Dakota is well, Canada. I'm oh, sorry, Canada, California, California, pretty maybe, mountainous. Right? Yeah, it's, oh, so it's up there. Um, North Dakota is actually the third flattest state. Okay. Most people say Colorado because it's on their license yeah, plates. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The mile okay. high city. All 25th. that. 25th. Highest or flattest, doesn't matter which way you go. Colorado is right in the middle. <laughs> in the center of the 50 <laughs> It doesn't states. matter, it's both. Now, the answer is the flattest state is Florida. There was this geographer, his name's Jerry Dobson. He moved to Kansas, and he had heard Kansas was flat all his life. And he started noticing that it isn't that flat. In fact, if you drive through Kansas, what you see is rolling hills for a lot of it. He knew, being a geographer, that there were much flatter places. So he and an assistant actually did a study of the entire United States to figure out which was flattest. And the answer was Florida. Now, there's something most people don't consider with flatness, and that is water. Water is absolutely flat. It is the flattest thing you can have as far as measuring geography is So the is most standing water state would win you by default the flattest state? And the, the lower half of Florida is all water. It's entirely standing The Everglades water. is... Is, it's actually, the Everglades is its own feature. It's the only one on the planet, but it's a giant, wide, flowing river that's only a few inches deep. Very flat, and the rest of the state isn't horribly, isn't, I mean, it's, there's no hills. There's some up north near Georgia, but, you know, the old thing is... No, I lived in, in Orlando for two years, yeah. and when I would bike, one of the nice features moving from the central southern U.S. to the lower southern U.S. is that all hills went away. It was a flat straight shot absolutely true to to work every single day the rain was annoying yeah. the geography was a help for the for the riding of bikes yeah no hills um in fact some of the tallest places in florida are so non-mentionable they don't even have names so florida's flattest second flattest illinois now, I wouldn't have guessed that because Illinois has some hills and some, you could call them mountains. You go down to Starved Rock. Well, and, I'm surprised other swamp you know, areas like Louisiana's isn't in right. there. And well, Louisiana's, the Carolinas don't get in Louisiana's there. Louisiana's in the top five. Um, Illinois, if you look at the map, eats up a whole lot of Lake Michigan. Lake oh, Michigan is see, flat. it's almost like we're cheating to get that title. It's, it, it's part of it, because yes. Because we encompass a, a bit of lake and call that Illinois, but no one lives on that part. Right. So, he, but now, the last question, what is the most mountainous state? And no one I have talked to guesses the right answer, and they have no excuse. Everybody should know this, because it's the mountain state, West Virginia. Where all the coal mining happens. Yeah, and if you've ever lived, yeah. in, I've lived in West Virginia. West Virginia is so... Mountainous, and by mountainous, they don't really mean height. It's it's how not flat it is. Uh, it's very difficult to spot to find space in West Virginia to build a soccer field. There just isn't that much flat land. Fortunately, uh, only six people in West Virginia want to play soccer, so it balances <laughs> that's out. True. And uh, if you live in West Virginia for, for very long, uh, you will find out that anyone from anywhere else is known as a flatlander. I have a question. What's your favorite kind of corpse to eat? Well, boy, I'd rather not eat any corpses, honestly. I don't think humans in the top ten. I think most no. people thought, what, chicken? Oh, yeah, if you're talking that. Chicken's good, yeah. I like chicken. <laughs> I... It turns out there's a gruesome history of eating corpses. There's a Smithsonian mag. I lisped that. Smith, the Smithsonian Smithsonian. magazine.com sends us a link. 
that this is something I did. Uh, well, I knew there were crazy people. I knew there were outliers. I knew there were head hunting tribes and weird yeah. cultures. And so, but extremely small. I did not know that eating corpses was ever mainstream. A thing. Man, this is medicine. It was medicine. It was medicine. They, and you know, so uh, the article is great, and you absolutely should read the article. Um, and it will be in our show notes. Definitely read the article. It's very well written. And they explained it like this. Uh, this is back when homeopathy was cutting-edge science, even though it is absolutely nonsense. The idea was that, hey, if you have a headache, what if you took some of that like-cures-like philosophy and took someone's skull, ground it up, and ingested it? Um, and that was, it was that kind of thinking, and that went for all different parts of the body. So um, whatever hurts, I would eat the dead... Right. Count. That doesn't make any sense. My foot hurts. This foot's dead. Dead is worse. <laughs> That's a you good go, the point. zombie should be eating my foot, as is written in the literature. Well, you'd get a healthy foot, though. So your foot hurts, and then you have the you know dead virginal girl, of course, being the the body of choice, of course, you know, and the seller, you know, there's always getting... a premium package. Yeah, right. Somebody's <laughs> always got to upsell me. Like, <laughs> I want some foot. No, my friend, what you want is virginal girl foot. Right. Oh, virginal girl foot from the makers of dead foot. <laughs> exactly. I'll have two. And you know, it's even mentioned in poetry. In fact. That's how this article got written, is someone read a John Donne poet, poem. And at the end of the poem, um, the guy refers to this woman being taken by the mummy, M-U-M-M-Y. And, you know, it was like, what does it mean? And when she did the research, she found out that ground-up mummies were a very, very common medicinal thing. Um, I, it's very difficult for us in our modern times to understand the principles behind this. But back then, before germ theory, although this continued all the way up into the 20th century, believe it or not. They were eating bodies as a cure in the 20th yes. century. They being rational people Germans, otherwise. Uh, the, they being Germans. <laughs> well, <laughs> the case I know of, it's in the article. 1908, 1908, a man is being executed for his crimes and people are lining up to drink his blood as a curative measure. Now, this is also the, the culture that gave us transubstantiation, which is the principle by which Catholics literally consume the blood and flesh of Jesus. You know, hey, whatever. Um, I, the Irish people apparently had good bodies to eat. That was, that's also in the article. But this got me thinking about mummies. And, and poor mummies. You know, mummies have been used or abused over the years. And I've just learned recently that some of these alleged uses are not true. So let, let's clear some of this up. Mummies. All right. One thing that people have heard about mummies is that they were used for fuel in trains. Have you heard of that? I've heard this. All right, Innocence Abroad, Mark Twain talks about this, and how the train's too, going too slow, so the guy calls back and says, enough of these plebeians, send up a king. You know, well, all right. No. It sounds funny. It doesn't like he's being serious. It sounds like he's making a and joke. he isn't. It's Mark Twain. He's, yeah. he's not being serious. But there were lots and lots of mummies, and they were used for some things. For example, there was a paint called Mummy Brown, literally made out of ground mummies. Now, one mummy would have provided enough pigment for, you know, thousands and thousands of tubes of paint. But yeah, they had enough mummies, and they weren't always human. Sometimes they were cats. They would mummify anything. The, by the way, in Egyptian history, mummies were rare until the very end of one of the dynasties, and then everything was mummified. They just went crazy, and there's mummies everywhere. You can literally... <laughs> it was a fad. You mummies, can, mummies, was, mummies, mummies, get your mummies. You know, and you'd, like, you'd bring in you know, your pet alligator or your pet dog or whatever to have it mummified. Pet I don't bolts. know what's weirder, that you have a pet alligator or that you mummify a crocodile it. crocodile if you were in there, but yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> But so there are, you can literally buy mummies by the truckload. That is possible even today. 
but they were not used as fuel in any regular manner. I mean, who knows what's happened in the dark recesses of people's minds, but in, but in, not in any regular manner. And the other thing they weren't used for is paper. There's this thing called mummy paper, which, you know, and it was supposed to be made out of the unwrapped rags of mummies. And this that has, sounds like some crap they hawked to the tourists. There's some truth behind it in that um, England needed material to make papers. And England is not a terribly agricultural country. That you know, It's kind of a rock in the ocean. And they needed stuff to make paper with. So they got it from Egypt. Well, what do we know about Egypt? Mummies. Right. And yeah, so yeah. people assumed, oh, they were mummies. Well, what else do we know about Egypt? Egyptian cotton. Yeah. If you look on your towels, if you have nice towels, they might say Egyptian cotton. Egypt has lots of rags, or at least it did, a lot of scrap fabric. And they would send it to England, and that's what mummy paper was made out of. Mummies used as medicine? Yes. Mummies used as paint? Yes. Mummies used as train fuel and paper? No. Once again, we visit our continuing weekly series, Wrong! Wrong. Things You Thought You Knew. I did believe that the chastity belt was a medieval device to prevent... Mm sexual intercourse or sexual pleasuring. It is not medieval. This is from the Wikipedia page we link in the show notes. Most existing chastity belts are now thought to be deliberate fakes or anti-masturbatory devices from the 19th and early 20th century. Yeah, there was plenty of that. They believed, like Kellogg and all that. Kellogg was a bastard. So they believed masturbation could lead to insanity, and they bought these for their teenage children. And I'm pretty sure a lot of lock picks were invented through this process. That's how Houdini got started. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, what were you wrong about? I was wrong about black belts. So, you know, what's the highest award you can get in karate? Oh, he's a black belt. Well, that just means you've mastered the basics. Yeah. That's, it's just like the start. It's like you have graduated from high school, you know, um, and it was invented as part of judo, um, which is a sport. It isn't technically a martial art. It is a martial art, but it's a sport, and it had rankings, and that was how they would delineate different ranks was, okay, this is a black belt rank event. But you, if you are a black belt, you have not reached the end of any particular, any particular martial art. You've only reached the beginning of being able to do the rest. Black belt and karate is an accomplishment, but not the ultimate accomplishment. And now, a man-eating chicken. Yeah, but really. Actually a man-eating chicken. (laughs) If there were men around, this thing probably would have eaten them. 66 million years ago. No men. This is Anzu Wylili? Yeah, Wylili? I'm going to guess a guy named Wyle discovered this, and that's where the name came from. 11 feet long, 3.5 meters. 10 feet, 3 meters tall. That's a big chicken. Yeah. That's a big feathery dinosaur. Chicken. Cute little fella. Cute big cute, fella. Cu- <laughs> yeah. cute, cute big fella. Yeah. Uh, little fun claws at the end, lots of gnarly teeth, probably pretty foliage, or plumage rather. Yeah, you know, the, it, the drawing they have here kind of looks like the raptors from Jurassic Park with feathers and a tail and chicken feet. But I was reading a little bit more. It does more. look delicious. I will say that. It, I was reading a little bit more, and this thing's jaws were hinged so that they could saw through things. Like they would bite onto something much larger and saw through it. Oh, everything about this is frightening. Yeah. Uh, so, three and a half meter long, angry chicken yeah. chasing you down and then starts to saw through you is just the final insult. So its name, Anzu, 
translates to Mesopotamian feathered demon. Well, good thing they used Anzu for short. <laughs> yeah, right. It'd be awful it'd be if it was Mesopotamian feathered demon Wailile. And, and the, the common name they're using is the chicken from hell. Also, they were going to call it a uh, Phobo Gallus, which oh, means... chicken from hell is better. Yeah, well, fear chicken. Phobo Gallus. Fear, fear chicken. chicken. Which I think also works. <laughs> These are all great band names, by the oh, way. Yes, if they you, are. If you're absolutely. starting a fusion funk band, we just gave you like 17 names. So if you were going to eat this thing, what do you think it would taste like? Well, I'm, I'm hoping chicken. And you know what? Or you're right. Duck. You're right. It turns out that... Um, Wait, how do they know that? No, they believe that dinosaurs tasted like chicken because um, it, the proteins that are found in ch- chicken... Chicken are descended from dinosaurs, more or less. They are related to dinosaurs. It gets complicated if you start saying descended. But they would have been made with similar proteins, and they probably had the same taste. So if you want to know what dinosaur tastes like, try KFC. How do you get from Earth to the moon? Well, you just crank up your nuclear-powered <laughs> rocket. Yeah. And what a what a terrible idea. This this thing. All right. So I I, I have a friend. Uh, his name is is. Now you're uh, just bragging. Lieutenant Colonel Hal Bidlack retired. A uh, doctor, Lieutenant Colonel Hal Bidlack retired. He's a fascinating. He should guy. become a reverend, just he, so it's all in there. He literally used to have his finger on the button. Uh, he 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 spent a lot of time in a missile silo. So I saw him speak at the College yes. of Curiosity conference. What was the name yeah, of that? That was event? conference. Yeah. A fascinating, fascinating speaker, yep. and I think part of it. Well, he, he has a good personality. He's, for a, public he's a speech, fine man, absolutely. But the life story is also nuts. He yeah. had his finger on the button that ends civilization as literally as any human could. He did, and he, he was in charge of that. He would explain why his doing that was actually saving humanity, and that was kind of part of his talk. But, but he introduced me to this thing that was uh, actually built as a prototype. It's called Project Pluto. It's going to be a little hard to describe, so you might want to link to the paper in the show notes. But imagine a rocket. It's actually a ramjet um, that worked with nuclear power. And so this thing was propelled by a nuclear reaction, and then air was superheated and forced into the engine that created sort of like a jet, and it would fly towards, its en- towards the enemy. And what was really cool about this is that it was really simple. I mean, you, you nothing could go wrong. It would be very hard to shoot down. It was supersonic. But there were a couple... And the fuel is is atomic. Yeah, little it's tiny It's pulling thing. in air. Right. So once you have the nuclear fissionable material in the reactor, right. the reactor has weight, but all that jet fuel for long bombing missions exactly. or, or going anywhere on the planet over and over and over That's again... The thing. Is built in. Unlimited range. If only there weren't a downside. Well, so it sounds great to have a nuclear missile and it would have a nuclear Oh yeah, fun for the kids. Yeah. The whole neighborhood should get one. With unlimited range. Like you could fly it over your enemy and say, see that? Next time it's going to land on your house. But here's the thing. It wasn't just a nuclear bomb as if that's not terrifying enough. It was also so loud that it would deafen or kill anybody beneath it. This thing flew at a low altitude. So if you happen to look up and see this thing and it flew over your head, you would at best be deaf or dead. But that's okay because you were dead anyway because this was an unshielded nuclear reaction. This thing was spraying the Earth with lethal radiation on its entire course. So I don't know where the hell they were going to launch this from. That was one of the designer's ideas was you would la- you would drop all the bombs... Mm-hmm. And then, then spend the rest around. of your time flying over the populace, poisoning <laughs> yeah. them with radiation. Did you like that bomb? Did you? Huh? How do you like this? How do you like this? Yeah, just like kind of plowing the field over back and forth. 
Horrific, horrific idea. I mean, amazing technology. Well, I will they explain they developed this before they learned of radiation. So the atomic yeah. age, and then they start to learn what radiation can do. And then, and then it becomes almost a white paper. So that designer thinking about flying it back and forth is thinking as engineers right. do. Turn off morality, turn off conscience, mm-hmm. and just and just think about what you could do to harm the enemy. And it went in a white paper. Absolutely. Some of the mock-ups, though, are absolutely beautiful. If you look in the show notes, very 1960s, 1950s mm-hmm. starship design yeah. for booster rockets, etc. You got to see this. It's absolutely amazing. And I'm glad we didn't build it. Me too. Although, in one way, I'm not. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm glad we didn't build it as a weapon. But it was a very promising technology for outer space. Um, what would you pull in, though? You don't have atmosphere well, to superheat. The way it would work in outer space is you would just set off little tiny reactions, little tiny explosions, and they would push the ship along. Okay. So it wouldn't be a scramjet like this thing is. It would just nuclear, it would be just little nuclear explosions would power your ship. And of course, you would only need a little bit of material. But um, there was a ban against nuclear explosions in space. Yes, our governments actually got together and said, you know, um, maybe nuclear explosions in space aren't a good thing. Let's not do that. And they did I want to be at that meeting. (laughs) It's amazing. It's the Vegemite of Chicago. Oh, God. Jepson's, Jepson's Malort. Yeah. So I, you know, I moved to Chicago a few years ago and I was at a party and someone said, You have to try this stuff. It's Malort. It's the Chicago drink. You don't have to, by the way. <laughs> it, it's perfectly legal to tell them where they can shove that bottle of disgusting <laughs> liqueur. So this, this stuff, Malort, I, I did try some because I'm like that. Uh, to me, it tasted like all the worst parts of absinthe and, and none of the good parts. It was strong and bitter. Um, yeah, it is not good. It's I, an I herbal liqueur in essence. And if you've ever tried chartreuse, it's in that family. So it's going to taste like a bunch of different things. And the longer you sip it. But to me, Malort tastes like version 1.0 yeah. prototype. They did it all wrong and then stopped. It's uh, it's terrible. I was at a John Hodgman um uh, I almost said lecture. It was not a lecture. He's a stand-up comedian. Of it's sorts, a, it yeah. A comedy. Com- comedic one, lecturer. That's he has a he different was, style. It was, yeah, it was a little different. Yeah. But, you know, one, one of his things is he pulls out a bottle of Malort and passes it around the audience. And at first you're like, well, that can't be hygienic. And then you're like, oh, that stuff? Pfft, no worries. It's going to kill every single gonna, thing. It's going to kill everything and half the people that are drinking it. So, so yeah, this Malort stuff, if you come to Chicago, the legend is that it's everybody in Chicago is drinking this. At every bar, you'll find it on the counter. But uh, here's the truth. Most people in Chicago have never heard of this stuff, will never drink it, and it's actually made in Florida. I have a friend who uh, runs a theater here in Chicago named Adam, and he has a little bar in his in his theater. Oh, yeah. And his thing is, when someone says, I haven't tried Malort, since he works in theater in sort of the heart of Chicago, mm-hmm. a lot of tourists, not yeah. just Americans, but from, from parts abroad. So there's a lot of folks who have never heard of nor tried Malort. And he films them on his phone <laughs> doing their first shot. Oh. And when you string them together, you see how no matter where you're from, nor gender, nor age variants, <laughs> we all react the exact same way to Malort. It's been called the Malort reaction. And finally, we thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, on behalf of uh, Jeff Wag and myself, you can find identical copies of our show notes either at collegeofcuriosity.com or freakshowtell.com. We cheat off each other's papers. Until next week, we leave you with the answer to the puzzle. What's the only word you can make out of all the letters of the word insatiable? It's a boring word. The answer is banalities. 
Thank you.